Welcome to Super Responders, the practical podcast helping us navigate difficult conversations about things that matter. I'm Molly, I'm the host, and I'm on a journey to build my toolkit to start calling out injustice where I see it and build confidence to have these hard conversations about things that matter. Whether it's about climate change, gender, racism, homophobia, change starts the conversation. Have you ever heard someone say, but the climate's always changing, there's nothing we can do? Or are you like me and you feel a bit powerless? How can I be impacting on the climate? What about these big organisations? Then stay tuned because this episode explores all that and more to help you on your journey to becoming a super responder. This podcast is recorded on the stolen lands of the Ghana people. We pay respect to elders past, present and emerging, and sovereignty of these lands has never been ceded. It always was and it always will be Aboriginal land. Welcome to this episode of Super Responders, where we'll be talking about how to have constructive conversations about climate change. I'm here with Carly Robertson from Climate for Change. Carly, are you happy to introduce yourself? Sure, yeah. So uh, I'm a team leader at Climate for Change. And we are a small not-for-profit that started in Melbourne in 2016. And so my work is in training and supporting people to have climate conversations. I started as a volunteer facilitator five years ago. And since then, I've facilitated over 45 climate conversations and trained people to do the same. Excellent. Well, it's so good to have you on board. Thank you very much for coming. And this topic has been highly requested by our listeners. So let's just jump straight in. How do we respond to something like climate change isn't real? Yeah, so this is the big one. And people, a lot of people are really worried that they'll come up against a climate change denier and like, what do you say? And I do kind of have a perspective on this and what to say, but first I'm going to step back and say that you don't actually need to have those conversations with climate deniers. And this is something we go through in our climate conversations is that our theory of change, which is, you know, how does social change happen? We base this on social research and there's something called a social diffusion curve. It's kind of hard to explain without seeing it, but it's a bell curve. And basically you've got different people along this bell curve. Your innovators or people who have an idea are at the very start. And at the other side of that bell curve are your laggards, which are the climate change deniers. And the theory of this social change is that the people at the start of the bell curve don't actually have to talk to the people at the other side. So you want to talk to the people who are next along the curve. These are the early adopters, if anybody's seen this diagram. And so that's the people around you who are concerned about something, but maybe not doing much about it. And yeah, I find that really exciting in that, you know, we don't actually say, don't, don't put yourself in this position of, you know, jumping into a really hard conversation with a climate change denier. What is going to be more effective and more useful is actually talking to people who are maybe more receptive, people who, yeah, are already worried but are maybe a bit passive 
and um, maybe don't know what to do about climate change. And that's the majority of Australians, really. So learning when to disengage. And so if someone is a climate denier, is it worth your time? Yeah. And, you know, to be honest, in all those climate conversations that I've had personally, I've only once spoken to a climate change denier. That's when I was doing some door knocking. And in that moment, as this is talking to a complete stranger, you know, having a polite conversation and realising that we were not going to see eye to eye. And often people who don't think that climate change is real, they will have a lot of evidence and facts and they might throw those facts at you. And you can always find facts to to back up what you believe. There's so much misinformation out there. And so in that conversation, I realised, okay, we're we're not going to see eye to eye. So I'm just going to say, hey, I realise that we don't agree. So have a great day and I'll, I'll, I'll see you later. Now, I realise that's not always possible because maybe this person is your uncle or your grandfather or someone in your family. And so in that situation, I would say, listen to them, maybe ask them, so why do you feel that way? And if you see that they're kind of getting into that pattern of, you know, throwing facts at you, I would um, disengage and go, hey, let's agree to disagree. And it's just, it's not worth getting into a big argument over if it's, you know, your family member. I love that. I guess there's different ways in which you can choose to disengage and whether you do that abruptly, um, depending if they're worth your time or just really, really respectfully. And then then you can move the conversation on and just iron it out. Something, whether it's a Christmas table, talking, passing the eggs or whatever, like you can, you can could smoothly run the conversation on from that if it's, if it's. Yeah. And I think it's important as well, not to get your hackles up, you know, get, Obviously, if you have a very differing opinion from from someone who's close to you, your natural response is to tell them that opinion. And that's not really, in, in this case, it's not really the way to be persuasive or change someone's mind. That's often going to make them dig their heels in. And yeah, so it's it's a better strategy, I guess, to to kind of listen to someone, ask more questions and kind of see where they're coming from. And then in your own way, also, you could share where you're coming from and kind of share how you came to believe what you believe in. And hopefully you can find some common ground in there somewhere, you know, some common values. And then knowing when to walk away. Yeah, absolutely. I would say. That's good to know. Well, the next one is potentially a little bit more difficult. The Climate has always been changing, so we should be looking about how we adapt to nature's changes. Mm. And the climate has always been changing. Unfortunately for us, it is changing at a rate that is becoming very unsafe for human life. And so, yes, we absolutely have to adapt. And this makes me think of a recent report, I think by the Academy of Australian Science, which actually lays out the risks of a three-degree warming scenario in Australia. And in Australia, this is one of the driest continents on the planet. And so we are actually much more at risk. We don't, we might not think of that being on, you know, for me being in Melbourne or being on the East Coast where it's, uh, you don't see that as much. Obviously, there are other effects, but yeah, this is, 
with the global average of warming is already at 1.1 degrees since the industrial era. And so there is a certain amount of warming that is already locked in. So we do need to learn how to adapt to that. But it doesn't mean that we can't also try and mitigate those risks and obviously do everything we can to make sure that we keep them in check and we we do our best to reduce our emissions. So I guess that's that's kind of what I would say. And if people are really keen on talking about the facts, then yeah, direct them to those resources. There's so much out there that can that if people really want to get into that. But for me, when I talk to people, I want to kind of share with them my feelings about how I'm feeling about this. That terrifies me. That that report when I read read it and the effects that it might have on our life. I think about heat waves. I think about how I hate heat waves <laughs> just personally. And then I think about, you know, the elderly or children and how they're more susceptible to those things. It's terrifying. And so that then turns, it, it kind of, it motivates me to do more and to learn more. And hopefully I can share that with others as well. That's a really important answer, I think, and acknowledging that, yeah, they're correct. Yep, it's always been changing, uh, but it's changing really, really fast and it's affecting us as humans. And I love what you said about directing people to resources. I think that's so important because it's hard for us. uh, I mean, even if we're passionate about something, it's hard to remember all these facts and figures. And sometimes people expect that from you if you're having a view on that. But I think maybe being able to say, oh, I did read like there is a great report directing them, putting the onus and the labour on them a little bit. Yeah, I mean, you're not you're not expected to remember all those facts and figures and some people do, but I'm definitely not one of those people. If you can throw in like to kind of pepper the conversation with facts, not throw them at people. Like I have an analogy in the workshop that we do is that like a good conversation is like baking a cake. And so the facts are like the rising agent, like the baking powder in the cake, you know, you need it so that the cake doesn't fall flat, but on its own, it doesn't make a cake. You need other ingredients and, and they're things like trust values and connection and autonomy and so yeah it's it's a good idea to include facts but that that does not a conversation make in and of itself and when we're talking about facts I guess it's easier to remember facts if they're if they resonate with you if they're important to you so maybe it's like what's some advice that we can give to our listeners in terms of picking out the right facts at the right time or how do we remember facts better or oh, I guess there's no perfect answer here because you never know what people are going to respond to and I think like you and me I think we respond to stories and others respond to facts and so I wouldn't put pressure on yourself to, you know, always have the right fact for someone. You can always direct them or you can always look it up on your phone right there like, oh, I can't quite remember that thing, but let me just check for you. But I think just practice. I mean, having done these conversations, like the actual two-and-a-half-hour conversations, I have practised this quite a lot. And so there are certain things that I'll remember, like that, you know, 82% of the Australian population does believe that climate change is real and important. Like that is an important thing to share just to, to make people realise that it's it's not that scary. People are already on side. You just kind of have to lead them 
on the way to how we can do something about it together. So, yeah, on the facts thing. And also you can just look stuff up. There's also really good information from I would look at the Climate Council, the Australian Academy of Science is another one that had that report and there's some really sobering statistics in there. You know, they do often get you down. But then if that's something, if that one fact or statistic is something that's actually going to compel somebody to do something because it is scary, then I think that's worth sharing. That sense of urgency, you know, we really have to communicate that because we do have to do something about this in the next decade. We have to turn this around in the next decade and cut our emissions if we're really going to have a chance of like stopping and reversing global warming. So yeah, a well-placed fact in the right time can can make a difference. <laughs> That's so true. That's yeah. So knowing when to when to say some facts and and I guess that requires um to be a super responder and if this is something that you're really passionate about and you want to start responding to then maybe it's something that you really do have to do your homework listening to this podcast can be the first step to looking at some facts reading some of the resources that you have there and then finding your own facts that resonate with you um, I know the David Attenborough Life on Our Planet was really hard hitting for a lot of my friends and networks. They thought, oh, well, we hadn't, hadn't really realised it. And I didn't realise climate change is a human issue. Like we're, we're watching a lot of habitats around us degrade and we're noticing these like kind of meta things changing, but knowing that it's something that's endangering human life on this planet is something I hadn't, a perspective I hadn't seen before. So yeah, I guess doing your own research and, and knowing, be feeling comfortable in, in these questions and answers yourself. Or doing that together, you know, watching that documentary or another documentary together with friends is a great way to engage, you know, watching that and then having a conversation like intentionally is a great way to connect and, and learn about this stuff together. You know, you don't have to do it on your own. Um, so definitely there's a lot out there, but sharing your personal stories is also really powerful. That that's mm. the best. That's, I really, really value that in, cause people can relate to that. They've experienced, we live in Australia, they've experienced heat waves likely. And unfortunately they've experienced bushfires and seen the impact that that's had. So maybe relating, yeah, relating it to personal experience and, and conditions is extremely effective. How about when people talk about climate change and um, potentially the move to more renewable sources, when they say, but Australia's economy is too dependent on coal, oil and gas industries. Our country's built on it. There's nothing we can do. Well, I guess my response would be, yes, it has in the past, but it doesn't have to be in the future. And, yeah, you only have to look at those industries and how much they're dwindling and how many even the investors in those industries, you know, big banks and super are actually turning around and going, this is too much of a risk to invest our money in these mines where we're going to end up with stranded assets. You know, there is this focus on jobs and growth, but the number of jobs that are actually in these industries is actually very small if you look at the entire workforce in Australia. And again, I don't have those numbers because I don't have all these numbers in my head. But what that makes me think of is 
the positive stories around the world that I've heard from watching documentaries, from reading the news about transitions for, for workers to, to move into different industries and how that, that has really been a positive thing around the world. There was an example of an old Ford factory, I think, down on the coast in Victoria that is actually producing wind turbines now. And yeah, so there are positive stories and there are, and they're the things that we should be focusing on. And there is a lot of media spin and that is unfortunate. And I think that's where it comes to having those conversations, maybe searching for a news article about these success stories around the world because they do exist and sharing those with the people who, you know, who are wanting to know about them. And, and also that, yeah, prices of those traditional industries, prices of electricity from, from coal and oil and gas are now more expensive than, than renewables. And, yeah, just kind of changing that narrative is really important. Absolutely. How about saying climate change isn't our fault, isn't Australia's fault? Tell China and India to lower their emissions. Oh, yeah. That's, <laughs> well, the first thing I think of is if you actually look at emissions per capita, Australia is actually, and I think many people know this already, that Australia has the highest per capita emissions one of the highest in the developed countries in the world, I think even higher than the US. If you think about how much we drive, how much we have to drive long distances and transport, this needs to be a complete overhaul for us to, you know, change our systems, to make our houses more energy efficient. They're just, yeah, there's a lot of blame being put on, on others. Whereas, yeah, if you look at their per capita emissions, they're actually quite low or in line with, say, European levels. I feel extremely embarrassed because this is one that in the back of my mind, I potentially held a bit of truth to or like it resonated a bit with me because when I, when I think about my personal actions, I guess it's you can always go wider and wider and shift the blame higher and higher and further afield. But, yeah, that per capita I've never realised that and maybe I did know it and I think I have heard it before but I didn't want to believe that it was true. And I I didn't know that for sure. I just did a quick search before we started chatting and I found that information in 30 seconds. So, yeah, it's not hard to find. And also, I mean, Australia is one of the wealthiest countries in the developed world and we have a responsibility to kind of lead the way we have all the technology we need in the world to, to solve the climate crisis. It's just a matter of the social and political will to make it happen. That, that's what's lacking. So that leads pretty well into our final question, which is, I'm just one person. What could I possibly do? How can me owning a car or recycling, how can that make an impact? I think this is the best question because... It's rather than putting all the onus on external forces and other countries, it's like comes back to what can I do? And that's that's an opportunity. That's empowering. And, yeah, I guess in my journey personally, this is how I've kind of discovered that going from focusing on my individual actions and feeling really frustrated that, yeah, I can put so much energy into 
every aspect of my life, you know, riding my bike, making sure I don't use plastic, making sure I use um, renewable energy, you know, in my house, all these individual actions add up to something and they definitely need to be done. But when it comes to the most effective things we can be doing, we, we should be doing all those things, but we should also be pushing our elected representatives to to make those policy changes and make that systemic change. So the answer is kind of, you know, yes, you should be doing all those, thing, all those things, but you should also be talking to the people around you about them, bringing them on board, you know, talking in a positive way. Oh, I just, for example, I just divested my money from my, my bank that I found out was investing in fossil fuels and I put it into an ethical bank and now I'm going to talk to people about it and maybe help them to do the same for their bank and their super. And then as well, I'm going to write a letter to my MP and then I'm going to call them and then I'm going to maybe try and go and speak to them and show them that this is something that the community wants. They want to have change. They want better policies that are going to lead and are going to make it easier for us to take action on climate change that's awesome because I get I guess it is really easy for ourselves to say well I'm just one person but you're not you're one member of a really powerful community and a constituency for a political party so if you share your views and you can get these conversations going and you can share that with your local member and people who do have the, the ability to influence that wider spread change then that is quite important, I guess, as well. Yeah, and I think that a lot of us forget that. I mean, before I started doing these climate conversations with Climate for Change, I had never written to a politician. I just didn't think that that was something I needed to do or, or even could do. But they, they have to listen to you. You know, you are their constituents and you form their electorate. And if we don't let them know what we want, then how will they know? So, yeah, I think that would be my answer if people are feeling a bit overwhelmed or feeling that, you know, what can I do? I'm just one person. It's like collectively we do have a lot of power and we can't, we can't forget that. And you'll also see heaps of examples online on um, social media of people that have just one person or a couple of people that have started a whole campaign to change, whether it be their local community or whether it be like a statewide campaign to, to stop a new a gas project or something like that, you know, that's just started from one or two or a handful of people. That's amazing. I think seeking those positive stories of where change has occurred and where it is happening is really, really effective in keeping, keeping us going and inspiring us to write letters to the MPs. And I think the beauty of that letter is that you can copy and paste that and if it's a shared view amongst your friends or something like that, then that's a, that's a resource that you can really use to um, once it's on paper, then that's really, really valuable. Yeah, and definitely, you know, once you've done that, getting everybody in the group to, to use that template and change it a bit and also send it because it's not really about what you're saying, it's the fact that you're actually sending that letter or making that call. And, yeah, and that's why we've developed these MP engagement groups to kind of help, help people to do that and we have lots of resources and we hold meetings of, over Zoom and, yeah, take action together. 
really. And then talking about that, talking about any action that you're taking with the people around you is is going to be more motivating than maybe obviously there are a lot of depressing things and there are a lot of facts and a lot of things happening around the world that show us that climate change is devastating and it is going to be more and more catastrophic in in our lives, more and more impactful. And so focusing on the positives and the things that you can do together is, yeah, perhaps a much more effective way to go about it. Perfect. And one one other question about maybe more towards a, like misinformation or misunderstanding. When you're having a conversation with someone gives examples, maybe about climate change isn't real or has received constant misinformation, when they're saying things like, oh, we were told 50 years ago the reef was going to disappear, but it's still here. What do we say to misinformation? Oh, I think that's a tricky one as well because, yeah, people are going to, you know, you, you can't, you, you're unlikely to change someone's mind if they've really got that in their mind from what they've seen in the media, from what they've learnt their whole life. You're unlikely to change that in one conversation. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't walk away from it. Yeah, I would maybe give one example of something that really affected you. Like whenever I hear about the reef, for example, it's that there are massive areas of the reef that I did. And I've actually seen this firsthand when I, I went up there a couple of years ago and I went snorkeling and saw this dead coral. And just thinking that that was happening over a huge area. I, again, I don't have the exact amount of the reef that's actually been killed off because of rising temperatures, but it is huge. And all of that's happened in like the last eight years in that those, those coral bleaching events. And so, yeah, there's a little bit left, but it's not much. And the science is telling us that it's only going to take a few more of those really hot years for it to, to be killed off completely. So that makes me really sad. And it makes me sad that, you know, my nieces and nephews probably won't be able to see that when they grow up. So I wouldn't in that case try and, you know, force lots of information at people because then, again, they're likely to dig in their heels and go, no, but I believe this. But kind of bringing it back to how that's affecting you personally or your family because they're, they're common values that people share, you know, caring for their family and their friends and even just being in, in nature. I learned something really interesting recently and that was that depending on the environment that we're in, it brings out different values. So say if I'm walking through a shopping mall, I'm going to be thinking, I'm going to be seeing all the dollar signs and the sales and it's going to bring out these extrinsic values in me. So that's like materialism and status and wealth, like, oh, I want to buy this thing. But if I'm walking through the bush, like going on a bushwalk, this is going to bring out more compassionate values. This is from research from the UK over, over uh, many years. And so even thinking about where you have these conversations with people could be really interesting. Like go for a walk in nature with your family member or, or whoever you're wanting to speak to and you'll find that you are more receptive to those kind of ideas like, oh, this is really beautiful. I really want to save this space. And also face-to-face -face is really important. I mean, I talk, we talked about sending people articles or information, but 
that in itself is not going to really be persuasive because there's so much information out there. But, yeah, really really connecting with people and listening to them and listening to why they feel that way or how they came to that conclusion. I think that that will kind of give you the key as to, you know, how you can connect with someone on this issue. This has been so, so helpful in terms of understanding just some really quick and practical ways on how to judge these conversations about climate change. Is there any further advice or any further resources that our listeners can go to or look up to help them in having discussions about climate change? Absolutely. Yeah. And one that I haven't mentioned yet is our climate conversation guide. So before I was talking about the kind of different segments of the population, I guess. And yeah, there's a lot of research that's gone into that from Rebecca Huntley, who's a social researcher and also a group called The Climate Compass. And yeah, um, Climate for Change has worked with The Climate Compass to kind of consolidate this and put it into a conversation guide, which has a little bit of information about, yeah, the different kinds of attitudes to climate change in Australia and how you can approach conversations with people. And as an example, the dismissive categories, so that might be your climate deniers, is actually less than 10% of the population. And so, yeah, we we kind of advise, you know, um, it's not a great idea to focus on conversations with those people, but there are lots of other categories, people who are concerned, people who are maybe a bit cautious. And so, yeah, there's lots of great information in that guide about how to go about conversations. And yeah, also the research from Rebecca Huntley, she has a great book called How to Talk About Climate Change in a Way That Makes a Difference. Um, That's a great read. Yep. And yes, our resources that you mentioned before, we've got a great online mini course that takes about two and a half hours to complete in your own time. And it's called Talking About Climate Change. And anybody can take this course and it's got a bit about the basics of climate change so we can, you know, feel more confident talking about it, but also a bit more about this theory of change and and how we can, you know, be having effective conversations that can be really transformative. That's amazing. And what a good way to spend an evening in lockdown, (laughs) just uh, being prepared for once we get out there and we're at the pub with mates and we can start having these really informed and confident discussions about climate change. And I think what you said about climate deniers only being 10%. I think that's really important to understand that a lot of the population is really now, maybe 10 years ago it wasn't the case, but I think most people are on board with the climate discussion and a lot of the fear I've had in the past about talking about climate change is that I think that most people are climate deniers that I'm going to encounter, but actually now I think about it, people are pretty concerned about just day-to-day mm. things that are climate change. So they're Absolutely. already halfway there. This, this research from the Climate Compass has also shown that I think it was 82% of Australians believe that climate change is real and important. And so that's that's the majority, yeah. And so it's it's kind of you think, why aren't we seeing this in, why aren't we seeing this reflected in our government's decisions because we're really lagging when it comes to climate action and we're actually quite embarrassing ourselves when when it comes to on the international stage. So it really comes down to people 
talking about this and this translating into the way that they vote and the things that they do in their life or all the pressure that they put on their elected representatives. And that's, that's where we're focusing our efforts. That's where I think we can be the most effective. Well, I think we can definitely just recommend our listeners to visit the Climate for Change website. All of the resources are on there. You can find more about the conversation guide, which I found very extremely helpful, and also the mini course as well. And we'll link our listeners all of the other resources. But it's been such a delight in talking to you today. I feel a bit more confident in coming out and uh, starting the conversation about climate change. Um, but is there anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners? Yeah, definitely have a look at the conversation guide, start having conversations with people around you. But if if you want to take it that next step uh, and actually host a climate for change conversation, you can do that really easily through our website. And yeah, all that involves is inviting people over. Of course, in lockdown, we can't invite people over face-to-face, but hopefully that will change soon. But you can also host one online. I actually facilitated a climate conversation online last night for a trainee facilitator, and it was it was excellent. Lots of people connecting and sharing and yeah, like learning together. So if that sounds like something you might be interested in, or even if you think you might be able to facilitate climate conversations, taking that mini course is the first step to training with us as well. Excellent. Well, thank you again so much for your time. And um, we look forward to starting these conversations. Awesome. Thank you. That has been another episode of Super Responders. I don't know about you, but I feel a lot more confident in speaking about climate change, knowing that 82% of Australians are also as scared as me uh, about the future and my place in it. So I'm going to start writing to my local politicians about what matters most to me, and I'm going to start talking about my actions and the actions that I'm taking with my friends. Hopefully this episode has been helpful in your journey, and if you have any feedback or thoughts about this episode, please get in touch. You can visit us on Instagram at superresponders and while you're there, give us a follow. And if you're enjoying the podcast, you might even want to go into Apple Podcasts and leave a review or tell someone about it. That's that. Thanks for following me on my journey to becoming a super responder and we'll see you again soon.